If you would, go ahead and turn your Bibles to John 9, and I'm going to start out with a question for you today, and so tuck this into your mind and think about an answer to it. The question is, what is your response when it seems like God is not working? What is your response when in life it seems like God is not working? Again, my name is Casey, and my wife Emily and I moved back to Indianapolis just about three months ago, and we moved back with Ember, our sweet five-month-old. I believe I have a picture right up here for you. So there's my wife and my daughter. Isn't she just so adorable? Oh, my daughter is too. Um, Points. Ember loves to do things that a lot of babies like to do. Uh, She loves to eat. She loves to hold on to your finger and and play with it. She likes to eat. She likes to grab sticky notes off the wall and play peekaboo. And you know the last one, she loves to eat. But she's like most baby, believes that whenever Emily or I leave her line of sight, she just believes we don't exist. And so there are some times when we go to, you know, get a spit rag, a clean spit rag, that she gives the same response that she always does when we leave her line of sight. Whenever we go to get her favorite toy, same response. Whenever we go to, uh, you know, get a t- the 20th diaper of the day and it's only 8 o'clock in the morning, same response. Whenever we leave her line of sight, Ember responds as if we are gone forever, and that we have left her to fend for herself. And so once she can't see us, she thinks that we're no longer working with her best interest in mind. Even if we keep talking to her across the the divide, hey, we love you, and we're just getting what you need, because she doesn't see us working, she responds as if we are not working at all. So our text today, though long with 41 verses, we're going to have three simple points, but really we're just going to have one main truth with two responses that we can have to this one main truth. This truth is that God is at work, and the two responses that we can have is rejection or worship. And so if you're in John 9, let's go ahead and begin in verses 1 and 2. And John says, as he passed by, He saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So let's pause. John doesn't really give us any indication that Jesus had any previous interactions with this man, yet Jesus and his disciples both know that this man was born blind. It could be that this man was popular because of his blindness. It could be that when this man's name was brought up, this was the, really the main thing that people thought of, possibly even the only thing that people thought of, this man's blindness or his suffering. And so the disciples, probably having thought about this before, looked to ask Jesus, well, who's responsible for this blindness? And so they ask him basically two questions here. They say, well, basically, was it this man's sin that caused him to be born blind, or was it his parents who committed the sin of which he now has to bear the burden. Both kind of odd questions to us, but they would have been really common questions during this time period because a few of the rabbis, the Jewish uh, religious leaders of the day, taught that present suffering was caused by someone's specific sin. That present suffering was caused by someone's specific sin. So let's look to actually see how Jesus responds to their kind of accusation here. 
Look in verse 3. And Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents. So let's, let's again pause. Jesus starts by answering to the, to the disciples, no and no. You know, it's not that this man bears the responsibility or his parents who are to bear the responsibility. So let me ask you, do, do you look at someone who is suffering and place responsibility on that person? To be sure, there are stories in Scripture where specific sin is linked to um, specific suffering. But do we look at someone who is suffering and place responsibility on that person? We see that everything is starting to crumble around another's life, the loss of a job, the, the news of an illness, the waywardness of a child, even the struggling with a addiction. Is your response to hug them? to pray with them, to cry with them, to look for any way you can practically help them? Or is it to look for an area in their life where you can kind of point your finger and place the blame on them in order to in some way appease your own conscience not to help them or to love them? Again, Jesus says in verse three, look back there with me, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Brothers and sisters, it was not so that the works of sin might be displayed in him, but the works of God. Which brings us to our simple truth of our text this morning, and that is this, God is at work. God is at work. We may not see him working, but God is at work. It may feel like God has totally abandoned us, but God is at work. You may think that there will Never be a resolution to your dissolving marriage. You may have waning hope for your unbelieving son or daughter. Or you feel like you have failed too much in your life to ever recover. But know that God is at work in your circumstance. However, you may be sitting here thinking, Casey, God is at work. Everybody knows this. This is a really simple and superficial truth. Give me something I can really sink my teeth into. But brothers and sisters, if we forget or move past this truth that God is at work, when will we pray? Why would we preach and come and listen to preaching? Who would we evangelize if we don't believe or we move past this truth that God is at work? Rather, it's because we know that he is at work that we preach, we pray, and we evangelize. But in the midst of our own suffering, do we trust how God is working? Not only that God is working, but how God is working to mold us, to stretch us. We may not like it, especially in the moment, but God is working to grow us to look like Jesus. We must trust that he is in control and that he will deal wisely for our good. I love the way that William Cooper, an 18th century poet, wrote a poem that got put to the words of a song, God moves in a mysterious way. And I love the third stanza of this song. It's, uh, the third and fourth stanza, it says this, God's purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. 
Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter and he will make it plain. So the next time when you or someone you know is going through a difficult situation, please do not ask who is responsible for this. Rather ask God, how are you going to work in this situation? How are you going to take the bitter taste of the bud and make it into a sweet, sweet flower? So let's move on in our story this morning. Let's notice that Jesus says in verse four, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming, talking about his death, when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, Jesus is no longer walking the streets of Jerusalem or Bethlehem because he has ascended to his throne. But just before he ascended to his throne, he gave a great commission to his disciples and to the church in Matthew 28. And remember what he says after the most famous part. He says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So Jesus says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And he also said, I am with you always. So let's expand this simple truth that God is at work and understand that God is at work in and through his people because he is present in and among his people. So be on the lookout for how God is working in you, through you and around you. Jesus follows up this teaching that I am the light of the world by working a miracle of recreation. In verses six and seven, let's look there. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. So Jesus works this miracle of recreation by making mud, rubbing it on the man's eyes, giving him sight, allowing him to see not only light, but spoiler alert, verse 37, he's going to see the light of the world. Jesus shows through this miracle that he is the light of the world who brings sight to the blind, purpose to suffering, and life from death. There are so many more truths of the gospel packed in here, but what is most necessary to see is that this man had a change in disposition. It's almost as though he received both physical sight and a birth of new spiritual sight in order to believe and see the works of God. And so God has done a work through Jesus in this man's life. And we might expect the entire community around him to surround him with rejoicing. That though he was blind, now he sees. This, however, is not the response that we see in this chapter. In fact, there were a couple different groups of people who found out that this man had been given sight. And and there were some who rejected. And this man will see his response of worship. But the first response that we see to the simple truth that God is at work is rejection. Rejection. The first group to find out about this man's healing are his neighbors. 
Look at verse 8. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some, says, some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how are your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. See here that, uh, that those who were closest to this man, his neighbors, were the ones attempting to recognize whether this was the same man or not. And while some affirm that this was the same man, we see others who say, no, he's a lookalike, but no, he wasn't blind before, and that's not the same, this isn't the same guy. And so we see the first type of rejection here by this crowd the first type of rejection by the neighbors is that they rejected the work of God. There was a rejection of the work of God. Not just simply, okay, God has done a work. Okay, sweet, let's move on and rejoice. No, they rejected that Jesus could have even done this. This happens often whenever the gospel actually breaks through and changes a person's life. The people that knew that person before their conversion will often not even recognize them after becoming a Christian. And so we see this man repeating in verse 9, I am the man, because he had been forever changed by the Redeemer, and there were just some who didn't believe him. Their response was one of unbelief. They just didn't believe that Jesus could do such a work. And so they reject that a work of God had taken place in this man's life. John shows in this chapter that the reason people reject the work of God because they are like this man. They are born blind, not physically blind, but spiritually blind. This means that people cannot see that God is at work or believe that God is at work until their eyes have been opened. I'll tell you what though, I am so glad that my blindness and my unbelief did not stop God from being at work. Brothers and sisters, God is at work even in unbelief and blindness, even in suffering, even in pain. So this man has been changed. This crowd reject. They respond with unbelief. But this, however, is not the only man to reject this man's testimony, the people then bring the Pharisees into their investigation and the Pharisees respond after the neighbors displayed the first type of rejection, which was to reject the work of God. The Pharisees then respond by rejecting the Son of God. We see that in verse uh, 15, uh, well, 16, but after the man succinctly repeats his story at the end of verse 15, he says, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see Pharisees quickly make their judgment in verse 16 and say, this man, Jesus, is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. The fact that Jesus healed this man on the Sabbath was a tripping uh, block for the Pharisees 
because they believed that Jesus had actually disobeyed God's law by not keeping the Sabbath holy. But what we see here is that they believed that Jesus actually only obeyed or disobeyed the oral law. Now, let me explain what that is. We have God's law. Um, most succinctly, we can say the Ten Commandments are God's law. But these Pharisees made sure that the people in their, since they were the religious leaders, the people who were under their leadership did not disobey God's law. And so they, you know, had some padding. They put some standards in place to make sure that people weren't disobeying God's law. So it was a noble ambition. But what the problem that we see here happened when the Pharisees actually not just took these subservient laws, but they took them and they elevated them to be equal with God's law. They took their own traditions. The, the three here at play are healing. They actually said it was wrong to heal on the Sabbath. Kneading, so like you weren't able to knead dough, but Jesus kneaded the mud in his hands, so he disobeyed the Sabbath. The third was that you were not allowed to anoint eyes on the Sabbath. So while the Pharisees ambition was right to keep the Sabbath holy, their elevated view of the oral law was wrong. Their rejection of Jesus showed their blindness. They fit well Cooper's line, blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his works in vain. Unfortunately, the Pharisees did not simply reject the work of God, saying with the neighbors, this man is not the same man. They rejected the Son of God by saying, this man is not from God. Notice then in verse 16, there's a division among them. Uh, see there, it says there was a division among them. Some people wondering whether Jesus could have actually done this, and some wondering, well, if he's a sinner, how could he actually make this happen? And so they asked the man born blind, well, who do you believe Jesus to be? to which he gives the first of his raw responses to the other people's rejection when he says at the end of verse 17, he is a prophet. He is a prophet. Can you imagine the processing that this man has had to do since being healed? He's been rejected, and the man who healed him has also been rejected, and they ask him, well, who do you say Jesus is? And he conjures up this response. He is a prophet. But notice with me that this is a response, not just of flippancy, but this is a response of belief. This man, though short, confesses that Jesus is a man sent by God. That's what it means to be a prophet, to be a man who came from God and speaks the words of God. And so this man confesses in a small form his belief that Jesus is actually from God. And so then John quickly pans to a third group uh, who reject that this man had actually been healed. So look with me in verse 18. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he see? The parents respond positively, this is definitely our son and he was definitely blind from birth. 
However, they avoided speaking to who Jesus was because in verse 22 we see, because they feared the Jews. They not only feared the Jews, they feared being cut off from the fellowship of their people. And so because of this, they deflect. They deflect the interrogation back to their son. And while we could easily focus the rest of our time this morning on the many people in this story who display unbelief, I actually think it would be most helpful for us to actually look and focus in on this man's healed, this healed man's raw responses of belief. And you may be sitting there, why are you saying raw responses? Well, this man has just been healed and he's processing and there's maybe some emotions that are boiling to the top. And as he's being rejected, the guy who has healed him is being rejected. He, the, the people are asking him questions and he says, he is a prophet. He, these are raw, these are kind of uncooked, unprepared responses, which we should expect from a new believer, and that is a wonderful thing. And so after the group concluded that Jesus was a sinner, we see the healed man's second raw response in verse 25. Look there with me. Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. What a declaration that every Christian here should be able to sing and shout. That one thing I do know, that though I was blind, spiritually blind, now I see. What a beautiful statement of conviction. One thing I do know. It reminds me, I, I come from a long lineage of Chicago Cubs baseball fans. Uh, my grandma being the matriarch of the family, and we love the Cubbies. But after the Cubbies won the World Series in 2016, there were not a ton, but there were a few critics who said, hey, if it wasn't for the rain delay, or if it wasn't for this one or two players who you know, did really well in the game, you guys would not have won. Now, I would say that every Cubs fan after that win had the right to say this to those critics. I don't know about all of that, but one thing I do know, that though the Cubbies were under a 108-year-old curse, we are now the world champions. <laughs> Amen. Hey, this is what God has done in this man's life. I don't know about all of that out there, but one thing I do know, Jesus is not only from God, but Jesus has healed me. Amen. The man points to the work of God in his life as the foundation for his belief because he hasn't yet been able to place his newly opened eyes on Jesus yet. And so we're getting there. We're well, let's move on to his third raw response this morning that we'll see. After the people ask him yet again how he's able to see, he gives this third raw response in verse 27. He says, I have told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? <laughs> The Pharisees take offense to this and claim that they are not disciples of Jesus. They're disciples of Moses because they know that God has spoken to Moses. But Jesus has already countered this claim. 
Jesus has already said in John 5, 45 to 47, there is one who accuses you, Moses. Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. But if you do not believe his writings, you would not, how will you believe my words? This appeal, this appeal of the Pharisees is an appeal of empty, of the empty repetition of traditionalism. Now, when you hear the word traditionalism, you may have a bad taste in your mouth. One historian has said, traditionalism is the dead faith of the living, but tradition is the living faith of the dead. It is traditionalism that has given a bad taste to the other. And friends, when we rehearse the gospel, the ancient gospel of Jesus, do not repeat it out of empty, dead traditionalism. Rather, let our rehearsing of the gospel be as lively as it was with Christians 400 years ago, 1,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago, people believing that not only have we been changed, but though I was blind, now I see. After the Pharisees make sure to reject any link to Jesus, this healed man gives his final raw response of belief in verses 30 to 33. Look there with me. The man answered, why this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this were not from God, he could do nothing. After only giving short responses before this, this man not only starts out with a raw response, why this is an amazing thing, he follows that up by giving a scriptural, a factual, a historical, and a theological defense for why he believes Jesus to be from God. Look there with me in verse 30. You do not know where he comes from and yet he opened my eyes. Fact, factual defense. Verse 31, we know that God, does, that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. That is a scriptural defense from most notably Psalm 66, 18, where the psalmist says, if I cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. So this man thinks about this and says, oh, here we go. Another defense for why Jesus is the son of God. Verse 32, Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. Historical defense right there. And then verse 33, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Friends, that is the summation of a theological, historical, factual defense and scriptural defense for why he believed that if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. This man believes that Jesus is from God. And it might have taken some time for him to process everything, but he came to a point where he was able to express his belief. The bud that was bitter in this man's suffering from blindness from birth. We see here that seed of belief is starting, that bitter bud is starting to bloom into a sweet flower. 
And so the Pharisees, what do they do when they see this? Well, they cast him out. They presumably of the synagogue, but at the end of verse 34, we see that they cast him out. They threw him out, which is a response that is to be expected for every Christ follower. We can expect to be hated by those who hated Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 22, you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And so be prepared, Christians, to endure for Jesus' sake. Then Jesus steps back onto the scene. And so let's go to verse 35 and read this encounter. And Jesus heard that the man had kept or that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped. This brings us to our final response to God's working, and that is this man's response. Worship. Worship. Not rejection, not rejection of the work of God, not rejection of the Son of God, but worship. This man, imagine this response with me, that as he looked and Jesus says, the one that you're looking at is the one who healed you. The man probably flung himself into Jesus' arms weeping, heaving, falling on his knees. Let me ask you, does your worship look like this? I love seeing men and women in times of prayer who are so engaged in worshiping Jesus that they can't hold back their outward expression of the inward worship happening in their their heart. This, though, can only happen for those who can see Jesus. Jesus explains a reason for his coming to the world by saying in verse 39, for judgment I came into the world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. This judgment is one of division. Because those who claim to see, trusting in anything other than the works of God or anyone other than Jesus, are shown to be spiritually blind. Paul describes this division between the blind and the seeing in 2 Corinthians 4, where he says, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Then in verse six, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, God is at work even today in this way. The work of creation that God spoke at the beginning of the world is the same work of recreation that God speaks today when he calls blind people to see the light of the world. But what will we do? What will we do when we haven't seen God work in a while? What are we to do when we open up his word every day and it just seems like God is not 
working in our hearts? What are we to do when it seems like God is out of our line of sight? How will we respond when it seems like God is not working? Will we respond like the crowds and the Pharisees by rejecting God's work in his son? Or will we respond with the healed man's response by worshiping him? Uh, William Cooper describes God's presence in the midst of suffering like this. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. Friends, God is at work, and it may seem like God is frowning now, but it is his providence at work in us, around us, and for us. Be on the lookout for it, knowing that his smiling face will soon reveal itself, whether later in this life or in the next, This should give us encouragement to endure the bitter bud, whatever that looks like in your life. The encouragement that soon Jesus' smiling face will be revealed should give you the endurance to press on through that bitter bud. And it is my prayer for you that your response will be one of enduring worship that will, in time, reveal a sweet flower this is your first time hearing that Jesus is the light of the world, my hope is that you would see and believe today. Maybe even at this very moment that Jesus has come to seek and to save those who are lost and those who are blind. Would you trust him today to give you sight? May today be the day that you look on Jesus' face and respond, Lord, I believe. This is not a magical phrase though. The right place to start is with humbly admitting your inability to see Jesus on your own. Turning from a life in the service of sin and believing that Jesus' work is sufficient to save you from the penalty of death for your sin. Trust in Jesus for salvation and sight. My prayer for you is that you will leave this auditorium today saying with our friend, one thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. May we know that God is at work and respond daily in worship. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for your mercy, for it is according to your great mercy that you have caused people to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Thank you that you came in and stepped in into this man's life and answered not only his present immediate suffering, but also you answered his eternal suffering that was waiting for him. Thank you that you turn dead hearts into living hearts, blind eyes into seeing eyes. May we rejoice that though now for a little while, if necessary, we are grieved by various trials. God, we ask that through the testing of our faith that genuineness would would preside and that more precious than gold that perishes 
May we be found to result in praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. May this be our song today. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.